Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, we encourage you to check out our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org. You can also subscribe on iTunes or wherever you like to get podcasts. And now, here's this week's message brought to you by Senior Pastor Adam Russell. Hey, my name is Adam Russell. I'm the pastor here. Welcome to the Vineyard. If you're new, if you're not, welcome. Thanks for coming back. Um, Open up your Bibles to the book of Daniel, chapter 9. We've been doing a very long series, slow walk through the book of Daniel. And today is our second to last Sunday. So next Sunday we'll be finishing up this series in Daniel. And uh, today is um, another chapter and uh, slightly different. We're in this this portion of the Daniel text where... It's been mostly dreams and visions, and there's definitely more of that happening in this text, but it's slightly different again. So the first six chapters are kind of like happening in the real world, and then chapters 7 through 12, it's like Daniel's prayer life. It's, it's the things that are internal to him. It's, it's where, uh, as we were saying a few weeks ago, the second story of the house becomes available to us. And then in this chapter, it's very specific about uh, Daniel's prayer life. And so what I want to do this morning is I actually want to just spend the whole morning talking to you about prayer for a few minutes through a Daniel frame, if that's all right. So I hope you have Daniel chapter 9 open, and we'll get to it in just a moment. But I want to reflect back to what we were talking about a couple weeks ago when I shared this this image with you of of a two-story house. I I asked you to imagine that house from Home Alone, you know, the the nice brick home there in Evanston, Illinois. And it's obviously a two-story house. But I asked you to imagine that you live there with your family. But the, the, the sort of the catch was people realized there was a second story, but no one knew how to get up there. Imagine that everybody in the house lived on the first floor and they were unsure about how to get upstairs. And imagine that, that maybe you went outside and you could clearly see that there's windows upstairs, but you're not sure how to get there. And part of what we were saying a few weeks ago is that the cosmological worldview of the Bible is that heaven and earth are overlapping, that the, that the upstairs, as it were, is available to us and is oftentimes coming down to us and that there's a way in which we can go upstairs that it isn't just life on one level, it isn't life within the imminent frame, but these things are overlapping and what is in heaven is beginning to be poured out. What is on the earth is somehow touching heaven. And this is really the Bible's worldview and it's very much in frame in the book of Daniel. Like Daniel is not just about what happens on the earth, but Daniel is about what is happening in heaven is actually touching the earth and what is touching Uh, what is in the earth is actually touching heaven. Like God is very aware of evil kings. God is very aware of his people's suffering. God is very aware and he's interjecting himself into the story. And so what we talked about a few weeks ago was that the house we live in has two stories and the way you get upstairs, the way you get upstairs is this. Jesus is the door is what we said. But the second thing we said was prayer is the key. Like how do you unlock this door? How do you go through the door that leads you upstairs where the world is bigger? And uh, part of what we said was, well, it's Jesus and it's prayer. And what I want to do this morning is I want to talk to you about prayer. And um, the next thing I want to say to you is something very obvious. I just want to say that Christians pray. Uh, this, this should come as no surprise, but Christians pray. Uh, like today, Christians 
pray. And for thousands and thousands of years, Christians have been praying. If you are a prayer person in any way, uh, you have interwoven yourself to the very long tradition uh, of Christian prayer. It's what it means to be a Christian. We are, we're, just, we're just praying people. Like even today at the end of worship, Glenn led us in the Lord's Prayer. And some of you are like, somebody asked me last week, how long are we going to be doing it at the end of worship? Probably a long time. Let me, just, let me just say that. We're probably going to be praying the Lord's Prayer together here at the Vineyard at the end of worship for a very long, a very long time. Why? Because Christians are formed by prayer. And Jesus said, this is how you should pray. You know, we're just trying to learn the basics of prayer. Let me just tell you, like we're trying to learn how to pray because this is what spiritual people do who are on the Jesus path. Christians pray. The people of God have always been praying and it's everywhere in the Daniel text. Like Daniel is a man of prayer. Uh, It shows us from the very beginning of the book Daniel had this spiritual life that couldn't be erased by his Babylonian captivity. For all the ways that Nebuchadnezzar and all the subsequent kings tried to erase General, uh, uh, Daniel's Hebrew identity, it was impossible because he, he was a person of the scriptures and he was a person of prayer. And so one way to understand the book of Daniel is this. A power turns some people into beasts but prayer makes us human and preserves our life. Like if I, was to, if I was to reduce the whole book of Daniel down to maybe one sentence, this is what I would say. Power turns some people into beasts, but prayer preserves our humanity and our human life. Right? Like, like in the text, Nebuchadnezzar, at the height of his power, he loses his mind and he eats grass like a cow for years. This is the Bible's way of saying, you know what? Watch out when you become powerful. Watch out when you become arrogant and haughty. Uh, You will lose touch with your humanity. And over and over again, uh, Daniel has these visions. And in every single time, the empires are represented by wild beasts. Why? Because they're they're fundamentally dehumanizing. They, They take something away from people that is their essence. But Daniel is the person in the text who is connected to God, especially by prayer. And Daniel is always the most human in the text. And so we want to say uh, here at the Vineyard, Christians pray, and, and we see it in the Old Testament, and we see it in the New Testament as well. Daniel never loses his nobility or his life with God, and it's because he's a man of prayer. And that's what we see in the text this morning. So Seth, why don't we put up verses 1 through 4. Is right at the beginning here. It was the first year of the reign of Darius the Mede, the son of Ahasuerus, I don't know, who became the king of the Babylonians during the first year of his reign. I, Daniel, this is really interesting. I, Daniel, learned from reading the word of the Lord as revealed to Jeremiah the prophet that Jerusalem must lie desolate for 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and I pleaded with him in prayer and fasting. I also wore rough burlap and sprinkled myself with ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and I confessed, O Lord, you are great and awesome God. You always fulfill your covenant and you keep your promises of unfailing love to those who love and obey your commands. But we have sinned and we've done wrong. We've rebelled against you and scorned your commands and regulations. 
We've refused to listen to the servants, the prophets who spoke on your authority to our kings and princes and ancestors and to all the people of the land. We'll stop there for a moment. Right at the beginning, we see that Daniel is again a person of prayer. And uh, I want to say a few things to us this morning from Daniel 9 about prayer. And the outline maybe looks something like this. So Seth, if you can put that up for us this morning. Here's, here's the way we're going to work. A few things about prayer from Daniel chapter 9. Number one, fueled by scripture. Number two, leads to encounter. Number three, a revelation of Jesus. Number four, what kind of prayer? Question mark. Uh, this is the kind of prayer. Humble prayer and bold prayer. Humble prayer and bold prayer. So if you're taking notes this morning, that's how we're going to work it. First thing I want to talk about this morning is fueled by scriptures. Um, I guess the question I have for us this morning is this. What are we fueled by? Like spiritually, what keeps you alive? You know, what keeps you alive? Uh, I, I want to say something about having a heart that is alive spiritually to God. Like it's one of the reasons we come to church. There's something about church. There's something about corporate worship and fellowship with people that keeps you alive. But I, I, I do want to say this. If, if a warm fuzzy or two during worship is what you're hoping will keep you alive, the bad news is it will not. It will not. Uh, if you're hoping that someone uh, will notice you and maybe the prayers of another person will keep you alive, I want to tell you they are very helpful. I want them in my life. But those things will not keep you and I spiritually alive. The things that will keep us spiritually alive, number one, are the scriptures. The Bible says, the Bible says that the scriptures are actually living and active. And we'll come back to that in just a moment. But the first thing that I see in Daniel chapter 9, maybe Seth, you can put up one of those first slides, is that Daniel's prayer life is actually fueled by the scriptures. Look at what he says in verse 2. During the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, learned from reading the word of the Lord as revealed to Jeremiah the prophet that Jerusalem must lie desolate for 70 years. And what is Daniel's response? I started praying. I read something in the scriptures and, I, and it caused me to begin praying. Daniel was a contemporary slightly after the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah had prophesied the downfall of the Hebrew people, but he also prophesied the end of their captivity, and he said it would be 70 years. Uh, in fact, we can put it up. Uh, Seth, I think I have it. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 10, I think. Keep going. You're going to get, there we go. Look at that. There we go. This is what it says. This is what Daniel read. Daniel read this. This is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I will come to you and do for you all the good things I have promised and I'll bring you home again. So here's what I want you to imagine. I want you to imagine that you've lived your whole life in Babylon. I want you to imagine that you were taken when you were 16. Maybe you were 18. And I want you to imagine that you put in 65 years in Babylon and you've served king after king after king. They've tried to kill you. They threw you in a lion's den. I want you to imagine that you have spent your entire 
adult, formative life in Babylon. And I want you to imagine that one day you flipped open, you flipped open the scroll of Jeremiah and you read these words and you thought, holy moly, the 70 years is like up. Could you imagine that? And Daniel's response, Daniel's res- response was prayer. And, and I think this is actually important for us this morning. One of the ways that we can be fueled to pray is to have a life in the scriptures. You know, sometimes we read the Bible and we learn something about God's heart or his intention for life. Or, or, maybe, or maybe we run up on something that's for us in the very moment. Some of us maybe in the room, we don't, we don't know where to pray or we don't know how to start. Or maybe our imagination or our inspiration for prayer feels low. Or maybe we don't have many words. Uh, in all of these things, let the scriptures be the thing that fills you up. Scripture is alive. Uh, it inspires life. Uh, scripture is God-breathed. And I love this image of the scriptures being God-breathed. So imagine, imagine God has exhaled. He's exhaled the scriptures. And here's what I would like to suggest this morning. When we read them, it's the breath of life entering our lungs. And when we exhale, it will be prayer. God has breathed the scriptures. And if you want to have the, the life of God to come into your, into your very being, the number one way to do that is to have a life in the scripture. It is to receive the exhale of God. And then when we exhale... It will, it will be prayer. We see it in Daniel. Daniel reads Jeremiah and it sets him to praying and fasting. You want to have a prayer life? Have a scripture life. Number two, prayer leads to encounter. In today's scripture, Daniel doesn't just pray, but he has a heavenly encounter. He meets, I'm just going to tell you the story here for a moment. He meets, he meets the Gabriel, he meets the angel named Gabriel again. Like this is just a recurring theme. Uh, Daniel prays and then after he gets finished praying, an angel appears to him and says, hey, Daniel, uh, thanks for praying. Uh, God has heard your prayer. And he tells him some other stuff. And one of the things we see in the text is that Daniel actually has, and he has heavenly encounters because he prays. And, and Gabriel gives him further understanding. You know, we, we want our prayers to be fueled by scripture, but we should also expect that our prayers will be openings for encountering the spirit of God. You know, if you want to encounter the Spirit of God, start praying. You know, and on the very lowest level, you can, you can end up experiencing, you know, the presence of God, uh, the warmth of God, the, the embrace of God, uh, the Spirit of God. If you, if you want to have those kinds of things happening in your life, you have to be praying. And sometimes, sometimes those encounters with God are, are really big, and sometimes they're really small, but in all occasions, we should expect to meet with God. Uh, in the upper room, in the upper room, it was, it was prayer that preceded the pouring out of the Spirit. So prayer, prayer comes first and it's encounter that comes second. And then this week even, I was reading a little further in, in the book of Acts. You remember that story where, where the, they, they, had a, they had an earthquake? Yeah, but the thing that preceded the earthquake was prayer. So the scripture, both in the Old Testament and the, and the New Testament, is consistent in one theme, and it's this. When you pray, when you pray, expect to meet the Spirit of God. And that might be really small, or it may be in ways that you'd never imagine, but you can expect to meet the Spirit of God. So prayers are fueled by the scripture, but prayer is meant to be a place for encounter. Uh, number three, 
Not just any kind of encounter, but a revelation of Jesus. Seth, can we put up verses 25 and 26? And I want you to pay very close, to, pay very close attention to the language here. 25 and 26. <clears throat> this is Gabriel talking to Daniel about the prayers he's been praying. And he says to him this, he says, now listen and understand, seven sets of 70 plus 62 sets of seven. Like, that, you know, like, like look, I don't, what does that mean? It means a long time. And there's a, there's a lot of stuff we could go into here, and we're just skipping right over it, okay? Uh, we'll pass from the time the command is given to rebuild Jerusalem until a ruler, look at this, until a ruler, the anointed one comes, Jerusalem will be rebuilt with streets and strong defenses despite the perilous times. And after this period of 62 sets of seven, the capital anointed one will be killed, appearing to have accomplished nothing. Okay, time out. <laughs> Who does that sound like? Doesn't that sound like Jesus? By the way, Christ, we talk about Jesus Christ. Christ means, that word means anointed one. And even when Jesus was doing his ministry and when he was crucified on the cross, imagine you're a Roman or imagine you're even one of Jesus' followers. Imagine you're one of the 12. When Jesus is killed on the cross, would it not appear that he had accomplished nothing? Yet in, in that very moment, God was like reordering the world. But by human appearance, it looks like nothing's happening. And so one of the things I see in this is not just that Daniel's prayers are fueled by Scripture and not just Daniel is having encounters with the presence and the Spirit of God, but prayer leads us, prayer leads us to a greater clarity, a, a greater image, a greater revelation of the person of Jesus. And I want to tell you something. This is actually very, very important, especially for us charismatics, okay? If you're in the room and you consider yourself a charismatic, and I do, and what does it mean to be a charismatic? Well, here's what it means. It means that we think, we think that God is active in the world and we get to participate with him, and, it, and that, could, that could mean any number of things could happen at any moment, like even at Kroger, you know? It means we could meet somebody at Kroger and we could pray and God could change their life. That's what it means to be a charismatic. But let me tell you something about charismatics. Sometimes we love revelation, right? But sometimes we're not, we're not discriminating on the kind of revelation we love. And here's what I want you to know. If you're a real charismatic, and if you're having real revelations, if you're a real person of prayer, and if it's fueled by the scripture, the real revelation you will get is an increasing one of the person of Jesus. That's the real revelation. Everything else is like, I don't know. But, but the one thing we can bank on is this. We will get a bigger picture, more clarity, a, a bigger love for the person of Jesus. Prayer opens us up to the future, and it shows us Jesus. The more we pray, the bigger Jesus becomes. You know, you might meet people who pray, and maybe they encounter heaven in some way, but if their image of Jesus is not getting bigger, clearer, more dynamic, I want to tell you, be suspicious. People who talk to you about dreams and visions but never talk to you about Jesus, run away from them. <laughs> run away from them. 
Daniel was a person of encounter and he had these inflection points where the spirit is beginning to show him something about Jesus. And here's the other part. Uh, imagine being Daniel and you get this word about, you know, there'll be an anointed one. He'll be killed. It'll look like it's coming to nothing. How many of you know that he's getting this word? And he has no idea what it means. <laughs> it's just the most amazing thing, isn't it? It's just like, okay, great. Sometimes it takes time to figure out, but ultimately what the Spirit wants to reveal is the person of Jesus. The person of Jesus. Okay, number next. Four. What kind of prayer? Um, the prayers that, that Daniel prays are two things this morning. Uh, they're humble and they're bold. We didn't read the whole prayer, but I'm going to pull some pieces out. Seth, can we pull, put up verse 5? Let's look at verse 5 here for a moment. Daniel gets this word. He gets this word from reading the prophet Jeremiah. His heart becomes alive to pray. But look at the prayer that Daniel begins to pray. Look at verse 5. It's a humble prayer. But God, we've sinned. You look at verse 4. Uh, you always fulfill your covenant. You're, you're great. But God, we have sinned and we've done wrong. We rebelled against you and scorned your commands and regulations. Look at verse 6. We have refused to listen to your servants, the prophets, who spoke on your authority to our kings and princes. We, we, we. Like, how do, you, how do you know that the Spirit is doing a deep work in your life? How do you know? How do you know? Uh, nowhere in this prayer does, the, does Daniel use the word they. No, and you can read the rest of it. There's... There's about 17 verses of prayer here. And the entire time, basically what Daniel says is a few things. Number one, he says, God, you are great. You're righteous. Your commands are true. Uh, number two, the, the second thing that Daniel says is, we sinned. We didn't obey you. We rebelled against you. We didn't do the things you asked us to do. We didn't stay connected to you. And because of that, we got judged and we got turned over to our Babylonian overlords. Like, that's what Daniel says. And over and over again, Daniel uses the word we. He never uses the word they. And here's why that's important. Because the judgment that Daniel lived in his entire adult life, his entire adult life, the judgment that Daniel lived in was a judgment for things that he did not do. He did not do. In fact, during Daniel's entire adult life, Daniel was faithful to God in captivity, but the captivity that he inherited was not even a captivity that he deserved. He wasn't even born when it came upon him. All the things and all the ways in which God's people had broken his covenants and commands, that was before him. And Daniel could have, could have looked at the whole situation and said, they, they broke your commands, they didn't obey, they didn't love you, but I have, God. And Daniel never does. In fact, what Daniel always says is we, we. And he's the one person in the book who's righteous and blameless. Daniel is far from the sins of Israel, both chronologically and spiritually. But he keeps saying we, we got it wrong. And Daniel comes to God and repents, even though he doesn't need to repent. And I just want to point out that's a special kind of humility it's another one of those ways in which Daniel is a Christ figure in the book of Daniel. Daniel never says they, he always says we. In fact, when you read the book of Daniel over and over again, 
the Christ figure in the book of Daniel is Daniel himself. Daniel himself. Uh, Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. That's what Paul says. Uh, Jesus, who didn't need to get baptized, got baptized. Jesus, who was blameless, pays the price for the guilty. The more Christian we become, the more humble we become. And the more humble we become, the more connected uh, we are to the communities that we live in. That's, that's one of the ways that, that you talk about actual Christian community. Christian community is connection to the people you live with. And so like, let's just contextualize this for us this morning. Let's think about the city that we live in or the state that we live in. Let's think about Campbellsville and let's think about Kentucky. How many of you know that Campbellsville is broken and Kentucky is broken? It's broken. And, and let, me, let me just tell you another thing. If we were to start praying for Campbellsville or if, we've, if we were to pray for our state, uh, if we were going to be like Daniel, what we would do is we would say this, God, we just haven't looked to you. We haven't looked to you. And we, w- we would never say, oh, it's, it's those people. You know, it's those, pe- those people, they've done this. And, but we would say, no, you know what? Those people are us. They're us. Like whatever, can I just tell you something? Whatever's going on in Campbellsville, it's us. It's literally us. And so part of what it means to be humble in prayer is to replace they with we and to become more connected to the communities that we live in, never putting distance between ourselves and those people that we think we're most unlike. The more we identify with the people around us, the more like Jesus, the less distance there is. Spiritually dead people always try to make distance. Spiritually dead people always try to make distance. Remember that parable that Jesus told? He told that parable about the Pharisee and he went to pray, didn't he? See, it's not just a matter of prayer, but it's the kind of prayer. What kind of prayer? Humble and bold. And the Pharisee said, started praying in the synagogue and he said, God, I am so glad you didn't make me like this other guy up here who's a sinner, right? And that feels funny to us. It feels funny to us, except we do this all the time. If we're not careful, we do it all the time. We can start to pray things like, you know, God, man, I am so thankful. I am so thankful that I'm not a drug addict like everybody else over in certain parts of Campbellsville. I am so thankful that, that you have taken care of me. And I'm so thankful that, that we've got it right. You know, God, I'm so thankful that we've got it right here at the vineyard. Like, we really know you. I'm so thankful that we're the ones who worship right and we take communion right. God, I'm so thankful that we're the ones who know. And God, I'm so thankful that you didn't make us like these other people who, who voted wrong or live wrong or took the wrong substances or, or had a bad strategy for dealing with the problems in their life. Soon as that begins to take any root in your heart, you know you've become far from God. Like Jesus didn't need to get baptized, but he was. Uh, Jesus never distanced himself from the people who needed his work the most. Daniel never uses the word those people. He never uses the word they. He says we. We. We sinned. Mature Christians are humble and connected. Another word for humble actually in our day and age is just connected. Like it would actually be a better thing because humble, it's almost a word that means nothing. 
Think connected to people. Connected, connected, connected. Okay, it's not just humble though. Daniel's prayer is also bold. I want you to notice how Daniel prays. Seth, let's put up verse 15 and 18. Let's go to 15 first. Daniel prays this. He says, O Lord our God, you brought lasting honor to your name by rescuing your people from Egypt in a great display of power. But we have sinned and we're full of wickedness. In view of all your faithful mercies, Lord, I love this. In view of all your faithful mercies, Lord, please turn your furious anger away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain. All the neighboring nations mock Jerusalem and your people because of our sins and the sins of our ancestors. Now let's put up verse 18. Oh my God, lean down and listen to me. Open your eyes and see our despair. See how your city, the city that bears your name, lies in ruins. We make this plea not because we deserve help, but because of your mercy. What a great line, huh? What a great line. We, 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 we make our plea to you, God, not because we deserve it, but because we know you to be merciful. But also notice all the ways in which Daniel is saying, God, this is your city, and everybody's making fun of us and you. God, this is your city. It's, it's in ruin. How could the city of God be in ruin? It's, it's humble, but it's bold. It's bold. And the boldness, the boldness comes because Daniel has a revelation of God's Mercy. Daniel's boldness wasn't hubris or sleight of hand. Instead, it was rooted in his knowledge of God's character. God is righteous. Uh, God's a judge. Uh, But God is also merciful. And Daniel goes right at God's mercy. He says, God, we're not that great, but you are merciful. And I just think that's one of the most Christian prayers we could ever pray. Can I just say something to us, church? That'd be a great prayer for us this week. God, here at the vineyard, we're pretty terrible. But you are merciful. God, we're we're not that hot, but you are merciful. It's a bold prayer. Humility humility and boldness, they actually go together. Uh, Humility isn't afraid. Humility doesn't run from our connection to others but it also names our favor with God. That's one of the things that it's rooted in. It's humble prayers and bold prayers. And and I can't help but read these scriptures from Daniel chapter 9 this week, and I can't help but see the ways in which Daniel lays hold of God's promises, and I can't help but but think about our our own area. I can't help but think about our own city. I can't help but think about the ways in which our city has places that lie in ruin. You know, like, let's just be honest. I can't help but, but think about it. And, and I can't help but think about the systems in our city that are not leading to flourishing. I mean, we could, we could name them if we wanted, you know. There are lots of things in Kentucky that are not flourishing, you know. I mean, we could play that game in every state, but this is our land. We want to be connected to it, humble connected. I just can't help but think about all the places and ways in which Campbellsville and Taylor County and Adair County and, and, and Marion County is, is a place where there are these pockets of ruin. And what is needed is maybe this week for the Christians to begin to not say they, but to say we, and to begin to call on God, to, be, to, to begin to call on God's mercy. 
God, would you be merciful? God, would you be merciful? God, would you be merciful? God, would you be merciful to the poor? God, would you be merciful to children who are being raised by their 16-year-old siblings? And by the way, this is becoming increasingly common. God, would you be merciful to children who are raised by grandparents who are worn out? And God, would you be, would you be merciful to families who are ravaged by drug addiction? God, would you be, would you be merciful to people uh, and, and places and locations? And, and God, would you turn your kindness to them? Would you turn your kindness to them? I think that may be the invitation for us here today. So what about us today? What about us today? I I believe, church, I believe the invitation this morning is to prayer. But not just any kind of prayer. I think the invitation is to Daniel kinds of prayer. Prayer that is fueled by the scriptures. Prayer that is humble and bold. Prayer that uses we, not they. Prayer that is connected Prayer that, that leans into God's mercy. Prayer that, that is encountering heaven. And, and here's what I believe. I believe that if we as a church would take this Daniel model on, I believe we would encounter his spirit. I believe God's spirit literally wants to come to us. I believe that heaven wants to encounter us. I believe that, that God wants to pour out the Holy Spirit in us, on us, and around us to see things as they really are and to, and to ask God to intervene with his mercy. That's what I think. That's what I think. I think it's time for us here at the Vineyard to just open up our Bibles and find the most, the most outlandish promises of God that happen to be for us. And then to begin to pray and say, you know what, God? We haven't been that great. We haven't been that great. God, we, we haven't cared for the poor. We haven't cared for the poor. God, we, we haven't cared for the needy. Um, we haven't in the church or in our governmental structures, we just haven't cared. And, and God, we just acknowledge that you can't pull yourself up by your bootstraps if there's no straps on your boots. Uh, and God, we just say that we need your help. And would you point your mercy at these places in our communities that lie in ruin? I, I think there's promises in the scripture for us that God would use to make our hearts come alive. Amen? Amen. If you're on the worship band this morning, why don't you come up? We're going to sing... One more song. Thanks again for stopping by the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening at the Vineyard, you can follow us on social media. Until next time.